Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Season two of La Brega was made possible by the Mellon Foundation, which seeks to build just communities enriched by meaning and empowered by critical thinking, where ideas and imagination can thrive. Hello? Hello, Alana. (gasps) Ezequiel. Hey, what's up? Do we do the... Yeah, we do that? Do we do the reggaeton thing? We always do. Okay, let's do it together. One, two, Two, three. three. (laughs) I'm here with Ezequiel Rodriguez Andino, our team's human encyclopedia, OG Bregadero, radio professional, history detective for stories about Puerto Rico, and what else? Well, I'm a pop culture like a uh, aficionado and I love music. So, you know, tú sabes, me grita el corazón, ríndete que el amor te venció. You know, we're singing <laughs> salsa stuff and other stuff all the time. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's why I think that's why when you said that we're going to go music in La Brega season two, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. And for nearly two decades, Ese was also the co-host of a radio show called Frecuencias Alternas alternate frequencies, it played on Radio Universidad and had this cult following. A ton of Puerto Rican musicians got their start there, particularly in the independent music scene. So when we were getting going on this season of La Brega, the team was pretty surprised that you wanted to dig into one of the biggest, most commercial pop hits in Puerto Rican history. Suavemente, besame. Que quiero sentir tus labios besándome otra vez. Oye, que lindo está eso. You know, the one moment for Latinos to hit the dance floor. This was like the moment that we got was this one merengue. And it's just like, whether you like it or not, this is all you get. Body Latino. Can you play suavemente and despacito? I feel like it just becomes like the go-to when it really doesn't need to be. But then, you know, if I'm at a function among family, it's the classic. Gets all the tias moving. It's the merengue that has been heard around the world. Elvis Crespo's 1998 mega-hit, Suavemente. For so many years now, the song has persisted. On the radio, at clubs, it's the one Spanish song dropped in at an English-speaking wedding. Or a high school dance, or a bar mitzvah, even, probably. It's been 25 years, and it's still everywhere. The song is iconic or infamous, depending on your tastes, but we don't really think of it as iconically Puerto Rican, right? And that's in part because it's a merengue, a rhythm more associated with the Dominican Republic. Yeah, right. It's like this quintessential Dominican genre, and this song is in the voice of a Puerto Rican man. How did that happen, right? Yeah. And so, Ese, why are we talking about Suavemente today? Well, the thing is, when I think of Suavemente, I think about Double Bubble. Do you remember Double Bubble, the chewing gum? Oh, my God. Yes. You'd bite into it and it would explode, right? Like with gooey sugar. 
That's the one. That's the one. Gooey and sweetie. Super fun. And packed with enough sugar to give you diabetes. Like suavemente, actually. <laughs> okay. But it's not just the empty calories, right? What I'm trying to convey with this analogy is that there's also a surprise, an unexpected story hidden in Suavemente. All right. I'm intrigued. Double intrigued. Let's hear it. Okay, mira, look, the thing about Suavemente is that it didn't just come out of nowhere, right? It's the result of a musical battle that went on for years on stages and across sweaty dance floors, a war between salsa and merengue. A war that tells us a lot about our relationship with our sister island, the Dominican Republic. I like to call it the Merengue War. For Futuro Studios and WNYC Studios, I'm Alana Casanova-Burgess, and this is La Brega. In this episode, track three, Suavemente and the musical war that hit another war. So, Ezequiel, where do you want to begin? Well, of all the places we could begin, I want to begin in the house where I grew up. I've been there. Your parents' place, great vibes. You know, I grew up in this very musical household where there were two kinds of love for music. My dad, he thinks he's a poet, right? He loves to listen to music. He sits down, he takes like this black coffee and starts analyzing the lyrics of a song. But my mother, my mother feels the music, right? She gets swept up in the rhythm, she loves to dance, she can't hold back. Le gusta bailar. Cuando tú sientes la música, tus pies se mueven solo. That is my mother, Marisol Andino Rodriguez. She's been dancing since her teens. That's when she learned to dance everything. Yo aprendí a bailar el tango. Me gustaba bailar el twist. And 17-year-old Marisol, she was in the best place to go out to dance. Because if you were in 1970s Puerto Rico, there was live music everywhere. They were dance that were done every week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's Richie Viera, owner of Viera Discos in Levitown. He's been working in the music business for years. Because an orchestra had to play four sets of 45 minutes. They danced until 2, 3 in the morning. And it was salsa that ruled the night. All night, every night. So if you could hold a beat on the congas, play a little trombone, or do a two-step while singing los coro, then you too could have a place in a salsa orchestra. Booking gigs and raking it in all week long. And really, there were so many gigs. There was a festival every day, celebrating everything you could think of. Here's trumpeter Edgar Nevarez. The festivales del mango, the festival del macramé, the festival de la china. The mango festival, the macramé festival, a festival for oranges. O sea, siempre, todas las semanas había algo. Every day of the week, a festival. And a dance floor. And that's where my mother and all the other salsa lovers were, twirling around all night long. With so much opportunity for musicians, word spread through the Caribbean like wildfire. If you want to gig and make money, Puerto Rico is the place to be. And then, in the mid-70s, something happened that would change the scene forever. Enter the Merengue Orchestra. Groups like Wilfrido Vargas or Johnny Ventura, they were playing songs full of joy and freedom, like El Pelotero. El Pelotero. 
To some, merengue seemed to come like out of nowhere to Puerto Rico, but in reality, it was really always there because Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic are literally neighbors. Many know there's been a major Dominican immigrant community in Puerto Rico for decades now. But in reality, it goes way back. Mira, the way Rivera put it to me. Te montes un avión. You get on a flight. El sobrecargo te da una Coca-Cola. And you get a Coca-Cola with some ice. Y te la tomas rápido porque cuando está chupando el primer hielito, estamos bajando aquí en Santo Domingo. Anyway. And the flight is so short that you've still got ice in the glass when the plane starts its descent in Santo Domingo. And that geographical closeness binds us in other ways, too. We've had a cultural back and forth for centuries now. That's why all the salsa bands in Puerto Rico always had some kind of merenguito in the repertoire. But the groups that started arriving in San Juan in the 1970s were true merengue orchestras. They were coming directly from the Dominican Republic. The tambora going hard. The sparks flying off the guira. Some wild and sparkling trumpets on top. And this merengue was something else. It was faster, Bien rápido. harder hitting, and also super joyful. A jolt of pure life and enthusiasm. Music that compelled you to leave all your trolls behind and just let it go. Había muchas vueltas. Y había mucho movimiento. And maybe, most importantly, it was way easier to dance to. Merengue is a ting tong ting tong, you know? Went two by four. Salsa has a pattern. If you don't know how to dance, you fall. This is true. Salsa's tricky. It takes a lot of practice. Exactly. And in that sense, we could say that merengue was the great equalizer of the Puerto Rican dance floors. With the merengue music, you throw one hip to one side and the other to the other side and can dance. For example, si Miguel Ángel tiene dos pies izquierdos. My dad, Miguel Ángel, had two left feet. Yo me iba a morir. Yo me iba a morir porque yo Ooh, so your mom falls in love with him, but was mortified because he couldn't dance. Exactly. But then, <laughs> check this out. You know, add two or three beers and some basic merengue instructions, and he was a full-fledged dancer. Oh, man, so merengue saved their marriage. <laughs> it did save them. And I actually spoke with one of the Dominican musicians who came to Puerto Rico to bring merengue and save my father's reputation on the dance floor. His name is Ringo. No, it's not. Ringo, in serio. Yes, but this Ringo was no drummer from Liverpool. He's a pianist from San Francisco de Macorís, Dominican Republic. Real name, Alberto Martinez. Llegué a Puerto Rico aquí en el año 1976, de 22 años. He arrived in Puerto Rico when he was just 22 in the mid 70s. Mi mamá me mandó aquí a Puerto Rico para que dejara la música. What? ¿Cómo es? ¿En serio? <laughs> sí. His mother actually sent him here to get him away from music. But when he got here, he found a wide open musical territory just waiting to be seized. Pero si aquí es que está bueno, esto es que hay un campo abierto esperando ser eh, conquistado. Mira, conquistado, right? Conquered. 
I heard that. Interesting choice of words. Ringo remembers this moment when he realized that merengue could have a foothold in Puerto Rico. He was at a mall. Yo estaba en Plaza Las Américas. Plaza Las Américas, obviously. Obviously. Y estaba sonando Wilfrido Vargas. And he hears the merengue by Wilfrido Vargas coming from the speakers. He saw how people all around stopped shopping and just started dancing. And he thought, Yo no estoy equivocado. Aquí hace falta un grupo de merengue. All right, I'm not crazy. Puerto Rico needs a merengue group. Y ahí fue donde tomaron exactamente la decisión ya de, de, de hacer la Patrulla 15. So he formed this group called La Patrulla 15. It was one of the first merengue bands in Puerto Rico. Ringo was the musical director. Their first hit was Cuchucucha from 1980. And in no time, they were booked solid. 157 bailes en tres meses. He remembers at one point he played 157 gigs in three months. Think about it. That's like two gigs a day, every day, for like three solid months. And that was just one band. There were others, like El Conjunto Quiqueya, and more and more were coming from the Dominican Republic every month to play in Puerto Rico. They play at clubs, at town fairs, at parties. My mother, Marisol, remembers it. Era merengue, 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 merengue. She says it was like, wait a second. Ahí dicen, pero para tu momento, yo estoy en Santo Domingo, estoy en Puerto Rico. Am I in Santo Domingo or Puerto Rico? And that sentiment, it was not exclusive to music. I used to stay with my dad during the weekends and in the bar we had a, a jukebox and we had um, pool tables. My name is Gloria Marie Peña Licea. Gloria Marie was born in Puerto Rico to a Dominican father and a Puerto Rican mother. She goes to the University of Connecticut at Stores where she is studying migration and popular culture. She told me that Dominicans left their home in the 70s and 80s for many reasons like the aftermath of the Trujillo dictatorship and the United States occupation, and also the strongman rule of Balaguer. It was like 12 years of a lot of violence and necessity, unemployment, strikes, famine. Some left the DR through official channels with work or study visas, like Ringo from La Patrulla 15. An example in um, Juan Luis Guerra song, Visa para un sueño, right? They talk about all the long lines, all the papers they had to fill, and how it was basically impossible to migrate to Puerto Rico with a visa. Such an incredible song, the way it's constructed. I mean, you know, Juan Luis Guerra, forever. Yeah, because he's, he's making like this catchy tune that we all love, but it's about this subject that is not, you know, that happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I remember how it ends. Carne de la mar, razón de ser, para no volver, the idea that someone would be lost at sea. 
that they would drown, that they'd never return. Mm-hmm. And that's because for many people, there was no chance for a visa. So basically, the undocumented migration seemed to be the fastest, the cheapest, and the most effective way to migrate to Puerto Rico. Many Dominicans still migrate to Puerto Rico by crossing the Mona Passage. That's the 80 miles of open sea between the tip of Hispaniola and the tip of Puerto Rico. They cross in Yolas, a small and fragile fishing boats. And those 80 miles, Gloria Marie noted, are full of people who have died trying to make that crossing with the desire to improve their lives. To reach Puerto Rico, and in most of the cases, the final destination is the United States. Gloria Marie's father survived one of those trips to Puerto Rico, and like many, he chose to stay on the island. But for her father, and for so many others who came to make a life here, the welcome was far from warm. It's every country. Migrants are perceived as that they steal the jobs. And that's precisely how some Puerto Rican salseros began seeing the Dominican merengue musicians who arrived as unwelcome immigrants, stealing their music scene. Ringo says it all began with Wilfrido, the Dominican musician whose band could be heard everywhere in Puerto Rico. Yo entiendo que Wilfrido duraba mucho tiempo aquí. Ringo remembers that Wilfrido and his band spent a lot of time in Puerto Rico. Duraron tanto tiempo que ellos alquilaron un apartamento. So much time, in fact, that they ended up renting an apartment because it was cheaper than staying in hotels. Y yo entiendo que eso le molestó a mucha gente. And he says that really bothered a lot of people. In fact, I dare to say that's where the merengue war really began. The fear was that there were so many merengue groups that the salsa bands couldn't make that much money anymore. Puede ser que le quitaran guiso. They felt that every day, Dominican merengueros were taking their opportunities to play and to get paid. They started to feel, well, you know, displaced, and they got angry. So they went to where they thought they'd be heard. To La Federación de Músicos de Puerto Rico, the Musicians' Federation. They were a musicians' union that was founded in the late 30s. They didn't have a lot of power. But when their members had concerns, they would take those concerns to the streets. Check this out. I spoke with Victor Geis, who managed seven American groups at the time, and he told me about how one day the legendary merengue star Johnny Ventura had come from the DR to play in San Juan. And the Federation was protesting outside the show. It was like nothing he ever seen before. Hold on, so they literally went on strike against what? Against, like, music? Yeah, like Victor Guy said, it was like something from another planet. I wanted to know more about this protest, so I started searching for anything I could find. So I went to the newspaper archives at the University of Puerto Rico. Aha, you hit the microfiche. Indeed I did. And actually, I found several articles, like this one from 85, with the headline, They Should Take Their Music and Go Somewhere Else. And, Alana, to set the scene for you a little bit better, I got a voice actor with a strong 1980s vibe to read these headlines to you. All right, let's hear it. 
over 100 artists with the Federation form a picket line in front of the Federal Building in San Juan to denounce the dissemination of visas to foreign bands who displace Puerto Rican groups. And that article goes on to explain, just if you had any doubt, the foreign bands, the majority of which are Dominican. Confirmed. The microfiche journey tells us there were actual protests against merengue. You know, there were even pickets at the television station, like Telemundo, where the bands would play live. And here's another one from a 1980 edition of the newspaper El Mundo. The president of the Musicians' Federation predicted that in Puerto Rico there could be a war among musicians. You caught that? I did, the war metaphor. Mm-hmm. Because, allegedly, the Dominican bands are taking jobs from the Puerto Rican musicians. And you know what? I also remember that when I was a kid, I had actually seen evidence of this war between merengue and salsa. There was this commercial on TV. It was for Schaefer beer. It was a huge production with El Gran Combo de Puerto Rico representing salsa and with Frido Vargas and his band repping merengue. They were on big stages on a beach doing a kind of musical battle about what was better. Salsa? Or merengue? And that's the kind of playful way that this word came up in popular culture. But the more I looked into it, the more I found that this anti-merengue sentiment really inspired intense reactions. I found an article in a blog spot. On blog spot? Mm-hmm, a blog spot. Uh, with like this 90s aesthetic dedicated to Dominican show business. Okay, I'm looking at it. It looks like an ad for a casino. That's the look, yes. And this article was published on June 23rd, 2012. The author is apparently a well-known and now deceased Dominican musicologist named Cholo Brenes. And he writes that the introduction of merengue in Puerto Rico was difficult. Okay, so, los intentos de sofocar, the in attempts to suffocate our rhythm in Puerto Rico, la isla del encanto, were terrible. Okay, so already suffocate, intense. Yes, definitely. And in the rest of the post, you're going to see more evidence of that, with allegations of trash-talking, insults, even incidents of spitting. But what I really want you to look at is actually further down. Okay, this comment here from an anonymous poster? Exactly. The protest against merengue was so strong that the car of Jackie Leda, a conga player from the band La Patrulla Quince, was burned. End quote. Wow, Ezequiel. All right, so that's written in passive voice, so we don't know who did the car burning, but, you know, burning someone's car is actually violent? Yes, I mean, like, burning someone's car, for whatever reason, is on a whole other level. And if it was really for, like, coming to Puerto Rico and playing in a merengue band, yeah, that's just wrong. So, obviously, I wanted to find out more to see if this was just gossip or if things were really this dramatic. When I spoke to Ringo, I asked him about it. And he didn't really remember, but it sounded familiar. 
He told me that when bad things happen, he quickly turns the page, but suggested that if I wanted to dig deeper, I could go right to the source. So he gave me the number of the conga player, Jackie Lera, and told me to give him a call. And so that's exactly what we did. Okay, ya está grabando. This is labrega.blogspot.com. We'll be right back. Carnegie Hall has welcomed a dizzying array of performers. To have Andy Kaufman, Frank Zappa, and Birkett Nielsen and Horowitz on the same stage, it becomes this kaleidoscope of our history. I'm Jessica Bosk. Join me for the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk. It's all about our unique cultural history, as witnessed by one of New York's most beloved institutions, Carnegie Hall. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. ¿Qué tal amigos? Le habla Ringo Martínez de La Patrulla 15. Escuchen La Brega. Ahí es que está la cosa sabrosa. Bien sazonado, La Brega. Estás escuchando La Brega. La Brega. We're back with La Brega. I'm Alana Casanova Burgess. And I'm Ezequiel Rodríguez Andino. Before the break, we were trying to answer a question. In the 1980s, at the height of tension between salseros and merengueros, did Puerto Rican salsa musicians burn a Dominican conga player's car? So we call that conga player. Mi nombre es Yaquilera, soy de San Pedro de Macorís, República Dominicana. This is Yaquilera of La Patrulla 15, owner of the above-mentioned car. And we ask him, did he ever see any tension between the salsa musicians and merengue musicians who immigrated to the island? Sí, sí, sí. And right away, Jackie Lera said, yes, in fact. Incluso yo tenía una, un vehículo. He had a car. Una hatchback. A hatchback. Que apareció quemada. That had been burned. He told me it happened while he was sleeping. After arriving late from a gig, some neighbors put out the flames. Todo el mundo le achacó ese caso a los salseros. He says everybody said it was the salsa musicians who did it, but... Nunca tuve eh, propiedad para asegurar eso. He has no proof, so he never accused anyone. Si no tengo prueba, no acuso nunca a nadie. Okay, wow. What do you make of all of this? What does it tell us about these salsa merengue tensions? I want to be clear that neither Jackie nor I nor anyone else found evidence that it was Puerto Rican musicians who were behind this incident. But the fact that the first thing that came to people's mind back in the day was that it must have been salsa musicians. And the fact that this rumor is still with us today shows us just how high that tension was. What is very clear now with the passage of time, the war against merengue was a losing battle. And that brings us to the next step in the evolution of merengue in Puerto Rico, the second boom that happened in the 90s. There were 14, 15 studio recording every day. Now it's Puerto Ricans who are singing and playing in the merengue bands. Merengue explodes. Richie Viera remembers it really, really well. 
there were 150 merengue bands and all chamaquitos, you know, uh, all kids who wanted to sing. Rishi told me how the groups always were screaming their names out, and he was so right, I remember that, because they all sounded very similar. And that was the only way you knew which band was which. This was the boom of my adolescence. These were the groups that were on the radio, on the TV, constantly. These are the groups that made me want to learn how to dance because it was so popular that you had to learn to actually be able to socialize. They had this new sound called Merengue Bomba. Instead of sounding like the classic merengue of Wilfrido, they sounded like this. And with this new sound, by the late 90s, Puerto Rico had turned to one of the most fertile grounds for merengue, competing with, and at times even dominating, Dominican merengue in the commercial market. We're talking about merengue heavyweights like Limite 21, Manny Manuel, Olga Tañón, kings and queens of the radio, of TV, of La Fiesta Patronales, and senior proms. And the culmination of all this is that the biggest merengue hit in the world, the song that conquered dance floors and charts, and in some cases introduced merengue to a global audience, was made by a Puerto Rican artist. It was Elvis Crespo's Suavemente. Say, I have a question. Dale. Would you call this a kind of, um, like, a cultural appropriation? Yeah, something like that. And that's the ironic thing for me about all of this saga. Like, if there was any tangible displacement, it was Puerto Ricans who took over the work of the Dominican pioneers, right? They effectively displaced the older groups and appropriated their rhythm and their sound. And paradoxically, at the same time that merengue was super popular... There was this anti-Dominican sentiment spreading all over Puerto Rico. Over the years, the Dominican immigrant community continued to grow. By 1990, they made up 50% of all foreign-born people living in the archipelago. In a way, the reaction that the salsa singers had toward the merengueros was like a prelude, a foreshadowing. I remember seeing some graffiti that echoed those headlines that we were mentioning earlier, you know? The ones that said that they should go somewhere else with their music. But this time with fewer words and much more direct. Dominicans, out. Gloria Marie Peña, who, as we said before, grew up in Puerto Rico with a Dominican father, has had to live with that kind of xenophobia every day, in both large and small ways. Microaggressions are very subtle. When a mosquito bites you, it doesn't affect you, right? But if every day, every day, you have mosquito bites, right? That bothers a lot. People saying Dominicans aren't educated, that they're inferior, that they should leave. They are constant and they hurt. And it happens a lot at school, right? And sometimes it's enabled by teachers. That's the thing, that it's uh, an everyday thing. In my school... People were always making jokes about Dominicans. 
if someone made a mistake in class, you heard someone say, ah, no sea Dominique, right? Like, don't be Dominican. And everyone would laugh. It's very hard to have that dual identity when you are not from here nor there. Growing up, it was like a negotiation because sometimes it, it was hiding as a mechanism of defense, but with the consequence of feeling very bad because you feel like you are constantly in a performance. Today, as an adult, I'm aware that in the neighborhood where I was raised and in the neighborhood where I went to school, there was a pretty significant Dominican population. It's just, you know, messed up because I remember laughing along with the class. As Boricuas, we really accept our love for merengue. We devour mangu and fried salami. But we show so little love and respect towards the people who brought those things, our Dominican neighbors. And there's no secret that racism and colorism, it's present in the Puerto Rican society and culture. It can be one of the reasons why there's so much discrimination against the Dominicans because we are so similar. There's this myth about race in Puerto Rico that we are, quote, a happy mix of white Spaniards, of native Tainos, and black Africans. In that order, it's a myth in service of white supremacy. The Dominican can be that black other. We don't, we don't want to be. Maybe we're not as first world as we think we are. So let's make fun of the easiest target, you know. That's Andres Belto Ramos, a rapper and a DJ of Dominican descent raised in Puerto Rico. And he has a theory. The things that Puerto Ricans would make fun of regarding everyday life in Dominican Republic, for example, or the way that Dominicans would see the world, electricity service would go out pretty much every day. A Puerto Rican making fun of something like that is as if they were afraid of the fact that they know deep down that they're just a step away from having the same experience. This is like when I hear, oh yes, things are so bad here in Puerto Rico, but wow, aren't you glad we aren't the Dominican Republic? Exactly. But now Puerto Rico is in crisis. You know, it, it always was. Now we have crises. We have multiple. So what's the difference? Belcross says these days our situation kind of makes people realize ding, 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 that we're not so different after all. It's easier to see us as siblings. Entonces, pues, va a ser más fácil vernos como hermanos. And when you start paying attention, you realize Dominican culture is everywhere in our lives. From the bachata that we listen to on the beach to the Dominican dembow that Bad Bunny likes so much. And every time Belcro is spinning at some party in Puerto Rico and notices the dance floor is kind of dead, Casi sin falta. Si el party está medio muerto, yo pongo un merengue y se levanta. Casi sin falta, es la que He drops a merengue and the party goes full swing again. That's what I think is so important and what I have always thought was hidden in Suavemente. That somehow, some way or other, that song encompasses the complicated relationship between our two islands. 
And I have always seen the enormous global success of Suavemente as the crowning of merengue as the winner of the war. But of course, that's not the end of the story. Suavemente's success was actually the beginning of the end for merengue. While salsa and merengue were feuding, reggaeton rolled in with the younger generation, and it quickly dethroned merengue. Just like Fortinbras, it took Hamlet's throne while barely lifting a finger. And in the end, when the smoke from the war cleared, merengueros and salseros started seeing the common ground they always shared. Um, Alana. Sí. Are you ready for a really nice coda? You know, like some tasty denouement, like <laughs> como un cordialito? <laughs> dale, don dale. Okay, so Jackie Lera, the conga player with the burnout car. Yep, remember him? He remembers that one day he went to the house of Elias Lopez. He was one of the salsa musicians who used to protest against merengue. Y él me abrazó. And Lopez hugged him and looked right at him. Y me dijo, Mira. And he kind of said sorry. Y esta casa que tú estás viendo aquí, Jackie. He said, this house that you're looking at. Es gracias al merengue que yo la tengo. It's thanks to merengue that I got it. Because eventually, Lopez came around and he worked with Patrulla Quince and other merengue bands. And it went super, super well for him. And even Jackie, with his burnt card and everything, When we asked him about his time in Puerto Rico, he didn't think twice before saying how much he loved it. Nosotros vivimos bien en Puerto Rico. El que tuvo la oportunidad de vivir esa época bonita de Puerto Rico, no hay mucha comparación. What a great time he and the other Dominican musicians had. Ya llegó un momento que nos veían como, son de aquí. And he felt that there came a moment when Puerto Ricans saw them as being actually from Puerto Rico. Thank you, Ese. I'm never going to hear Suavemente the same way again. So I sold it. You and Jackie Lera sold it, yes? Es la cosa. Ese coro. <laughs> And that's our episode. But before we go, this season we've asked Boricua artists to cover some of the songs we're exploring. So when it came to this episode, we hit up DJ and MC Andres Velcro Ramos, who you heard earlier, and we asked him to collaborate with his sister, Mireya Ramos. She's the founder of the Latin Grammy-winning all-female mariachi group Flor de Toloache. Their mom is Dominican, and they grew up in Puerto Rico. So we thought they'd be the perfect choice to work on a cover for this episode. But instead of covering Suavemente, because let's be honest, we've all heard it enough, they are doing a cover of a Patrulla Quince song, No Tienes Corazón. The original is really, really fast. We are definitely going to slow it down and uh, give it another vibe. Picking this song to cover was a way of basking in memories from their childhood in Puerto Rico. We would be in the living room listening to all those classic merengues on vinyl, on on our turntable, and 
dancing with our mom and just being happy and enjoying life and enjoying el calorcito, the, the warmth of Puerto Rico and the, the island. No tienes, no tienes Mireya and Velcro's cover of No Tienes Corazón, along with the full La Brega cover album, will be available in March. This episode was written and produced by Ezequiel Rodriguez-Andino and Marlon Bishop. It was edited by me, Alana Casanova-Burgess, and Mark Bagan. Original art for this episode is by Fernando Norat. Additional music this episode from Yasser Tejeda. Our 80s vibe voice was brought to life by Mario Roche. And the guida and the tambora examples were courtesy of Otoniel Nicolás. Special thanks this week to Marisol Andino, Miguel Angel Rodriguez, Andy Lancet, Chiquita Brujita, Leah Camille Crockett, Amanda Alcantara, Fernanda Echavari, Emanuel Dufrasne, Elmer Gonzalez, Francisco Perez, Andres Cucho Perez Camacho, Tatiana Díaz Ramos, and Suhey Lugo Vázquez. The La Brega team includes Ginny Montalvo, Ezequiel Rodriguez Andino, Joaquin Cutler, Liliana Ruiz, Tasha Sandoval, Mark Pagan, Maria Garcia, Victor Ramos Rosado, Juan Diego Ramirez, Marlon Bishop, and Jenny Lawton. Fact-checking this season is by Istra Pacheco and Maria Soledad. Our engineer is Joe Plord. Our theme song is by Ife. Original music is by Balloon. You can hear all the music featured in this episode and this season on our Spotify playlist. We've got a link in our show notes. And don't forget to tap the heart to save it to your library because we'll be adding to it each week. This season of La Brega was made possible by the Mellon Foundation. I'm Alana Casanova-Burgess. Join us next week for track four. I wonder if I'd take you home. Bye.